into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the geek's watch. For the geeks and all the geeks to come. Welcome to another episode of the Geeks Watch, and this week we're continuing our talk on Westworld. Uh, great show, lots of mystery, lots of uh, intrigue, wouldn't you say, John? Yeah, the plot is officially thick now. <laughs> it's definitely official. Um, and uh, we'll be talking about episode six, The Adversary, uh, but first we'll get to some geek news. John, what do you have for us today? Well, first I got is uh, Michael Keaton. Speculation at first has not confirmed he's playing the Vulture in this Spider-Man uh, reboot with the, Tom Holland. Yeah, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, do you think yes. it's? Do you think this is because of uh, Birdman? Well, if it is, that was one hell of an artistic audition. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a very interesting uh, way to go with uh, having him be Vulture. I mean, to go from being Batman in the 80s, or late 80s, early 90s, to now being the villain in a Spider-Man movie in 2017, it's an interesting arc. Well, it's like Harvey Dent said, you know, you... Die a hero or live long enough to be the villain. That's right. I was thinking the exact same quote. <laughs> uh, what do you What do you think? Do you think uh, you know Adrian Toomes, the character who, or the the guy who is the vulture, the character that's the vulture? Uh, I always picture him as very old and decrepit. So last I saw, I think I saw of Michael Keaton was Birdman. I wouldn't think of him being as old and decrepit. And, you know, everybody always talks about how Aunt May seems to be getting younger and younger and younger, but these male uh, villains all seem to be getting younger and younger, too. Yeah, I mean, who would you get or who would you cast to play the Vulture if you really want somebody who's as, like, old and decrepit as, you know, like Mr. Burns is supposed to be in The Simpsons? <laughs> I guess that's true. I mean, I think I always thought that Ben Kingsley seemed like a good choice for the vulture uh he's not decrepit <laughs> and i have no idea maybe they him and michael keaton are around the same age it, it, it could be possible i have no idea how old they are but it just i don't know it seems odd to me that it's uh michael keaton maybe they'll do some makeup well, and prosthetics keaton, he's gotta be in his late 50s early 60s right yeah, yeah, more than likely, because he's probably, what, in 89 when he made Batman, he was probably in his 30s, right? I'm assuming so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. 
Uh, to the interwebs. <laughs> uh, what else did you have for us? Um, in more silly uh, Dwayne Johnson news, it sounds like he's going to be playing a character in the Rampage movie of 2018. See, um, I... Rampage, of course, being the classic arcade and Nintendo game where you can choose between a gorilla, a lizard, and I think a werewolf. Yeah, for some reason, oh. a werewolf. I mean, I get the gorilla because of King Kong and the uh, lizard because of Godzilla, but I don't know why a, a giant werewolf. Because <laughs> uh, there was a lot of blow beat done in the 80s, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember uh, hearing discussion about this after, I think, San Andreas came out, that he was going to be making this movie Rampage. Yeah, well, it looks like it really is happening. We got a, a date of April 20th, 2018. And if I'm not mistaken, that's also Hitler's birthday. So, very fitting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little bit of Hitler tie in there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Would you be? Are you excited to see this movie? Or this video game be turned into a movie? What do you think his role is going to be? Is he going to be one of the people that turns into uh, the giant monster? Or do you think he'll just be a person that's trying to stop one of the giant monsters? Uh, I think he's going to just be reenacting his role from San Andreas. You know, fighting the forces of nature. <laughs> going to be the, one of the three monsters. I, I can see that happening as well. Yeah. And no, I'm not really looking forward to it. I don't have the biggest faith in video game movies as much as I like video games themselves. Um, this just sounds ridiculous. I think uh, our biggest hope right now on the horizon is Assassin's Creed. That movie looks pretty good. But it can always fail. Mo video game movies have never really done well. No. Usually it's kind of a fluke if they do all right. <laughs> Hey, we have we we do have what what seven Resident Evil movies now though. Oh, don't get me started on that series. <laughs> uh, all right, what's uh, what else you have? Well, it looks like after Logan, Fox is scrambling to reboot the whole X Men franchise. Um, Brian Singer is reportedly leaving the the series as well. Good uh, riddance, just... I say. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he started strong, but he just couldn't keep it up. Yeah, well... Then... well I had a dime for every time I said that before. <laughs> yeah, I also saw an article that said uh, the rumor is that Simon Kingberg, who's the executive producer and writer of the, the newest X-Men movies, uh, is more than likely going to make the next set, or the next movie be about the Dark Phoenix saga. Whether or not that happens is up in the air, and... Uh, I know they want to reboot it because Fassbender and McAvoy and Jennifer Lawrence are all bigger stars now, so they probably would cost a lot more money to have them be in the movie. Yeah, that seems to be the biggest uh, issue there with wanting to reboot the whole thing, get new cast members that they can enslave into contracts because, you know, who wouldn't want to be in an X-Men movie? Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> but yet, yeah, doesn't have the star power to pull around hefty contracts. You know? Right, exactly. So, and so Sophie Turner could be locked in for another three movies, and uh, I think the I, I forget what the kid's name who plays uh, Cyclops now, but he is also going to be the main character in uh, oh 
Ready Player One. So, you know, he might be turning up to be a bigger actor here pretty soon. And then he might be the next J Law. He might be the next J Law. There you go. And the kid who plays Nightcrawler. Uh, I've only seen him in like two other movies, so we'll see. Now, his name I do remember. Okay. That's Cody Smith McPhee. The right. only reason I remember it is because he's so weird looking. And he was in the uh, that weird movie with the big clock tower and the train station, whatever that was. What movie? Hugo? I think so. Was that him? Was it, is that the kid in, in Hugo? No, that was the kid. The kid in Hugo is the one that's in Ender's Game. Ah, oh, that was that guy. Okay, then where do I know him from? I know him from a movie really? called The Young Ones. It's like a post-apocalyptic world where uh, everything is kind of a desert and his family his father gets killed and he's i don't know it's it's something about finding water i think uh well i remember him from something else uh, and maybe i'm just getting my characters confused now <laughs> uh that could definitely be it what uh, what do you think about a, a, a dark phoenix saga movie i mean it's pretty much the biggest story that they haven't touched well i mean i guess you could say they touched it in in x-men 3 well that's part of the problem the the phoenix saga comprised so many volumes of the comic books very true um, like they just want to rush right into it you know they just go uh, right into the um, you know the the dark phoenix portion of it without letting the build up happen exactly it's you know called the phoenix force and then, I mean, to really do it justice, you'd also have to include the Shi'ar Empire. Yeah. The yeah. Omnicron Crystal, whatever that thing was. I mean, <laughs> there's there's a lot involved. I mean, I, I mean, I know that's what they, they kind of end up doing a lot with uh, comic book movies, especially. I mean, you take the... You, they, want to, they want to adapt the most iconic stories, but then, yeah, they end up rushing them, and they don't give them the justice they need. Thus, you have... Uh, the Dark Knight Returns in Batman v Superman as one third of the story, and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, right. <laughs> you get the whole Apocalypse saga in uh, X Men Apocalypse, and it's rushed, and you don't care about any of the characters. So what's the point? Uh, oh yeah, real quick uh, IMDb search by the way. Let me know that Cody Smith McPhee, actually also known as Nightcrawler, was the boy in the road. And also, he played the main character in Let Me In, the American remake of Let the Right One In. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I guess. So I was way off, but I did remember him. <laughs> so way off. You, did we talk about that? We talked about the, the, the couple weeks ago that they're making a TV show version of Let Me In, right? Or Let yes. the Right One In. Yes, we did talk about that. That's true. Uh, what's uh, your next story? Uh, moving on, uh, Pacific Rim 2 has a title, and it doesn't have its director. Uh, it is going to be called Maelstrom, which has, uh, to me, more significance with World of Warcraft, because there's a section of the world known as the Maelstrom, where it's basically just a giant whirlpool. Um, extrapolating from that, I'm guessing we're going to see something like that in the new movie, where in the Pacific Ocean is now sucking in the water, so it looks like a big, like, you know, whirlpool, I guess. Okay. And 
Guillermo del Toro will not be returning as director. So that I think that's strange. Um, it's Lion Gates film, I believe, that made the movie and or has the rights to the movies. And you know, Pacific Rim was a very much a a big uh, passion project for Guillermo del Toro, and the fact that he won't be directing the second one is kind of scary. But I also think that none of the characters or actors from the first one are going to be returning either, if I remember correctly. No, yeah, I think it's going to be an all-new cast, and I believe John Boyega is going to be uh, the new lead in this one. Huh. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? What do you think about all the changes? I mean, the first one, the first one I think is is okay. Like the fights, the fight scenes between the robots and the monsters, awesome, totally cool. But then it got bogged down with this like love romance between the two lead characters that to me never really clicked there was no chemistry between them it it didn't make any sense there was a lot of things that went wrong but then you had character you had actors like charlie day that came in there and made it funny and uh ron perlman so you know without some of those side characters i think that the movie wouldn't was not going to be as good yeah it definitely needs to have funny characters because the plot itself is very thin <laughs> yeah it's very forced and very long i mean we could have cut out like half an hour probably oh yeah of definitely interactions between humans and um honestly like the biggest complaint i've ever had about the movie and i agree with other people about it as well is that uh like the the five minute prologue would have made the better movie than what we actually got yeah exactly <laughs> That would have been a lot better. So hopefully, whoever yeah, whoever they get to direct it will will you know focus more on the mechs and the, the aliens and not so much on some half-assed. <laughs> Sorry, uh, romance. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, maybe they'll get Neil Blomkamp. You never know. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Which you, you know, it's funny. Mechs. We were talking about him, I think, last week or two weeks ago, and he did a uh, short film for BMW Films, uh, which is a series that they had going on called uh, The Hire. And, uh, the, you know, they just t- take uh, directors who uh, are, you know, well-known or up-and-coming and stuff and let them do an episode. And I think that, you know, it really helped him to get back in the limelight because I think after... Elysium and Chappie, he's he's still kind of in director hell, I guess. Yeah, he's been underperforming. I mean, visually, his his movies are stunning, but yeah, like uh, I definitely agree that Elysium and Chappie left a lot to be desired. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I'd be excited to see his his version of uh, Pacific Rim. I'll tell you what, though, I think. Uh, <laughs> Neil Blomkamp is in a much better position director-wise than someone like Josh Trank is. <sighs> That's true, but uh, isn't he coming back with something new soon? Not that I've heard. I um, you know, unless it's something independent. Lest I heard, he was basically being blacklisted for blasting Fox for their mistreatment of the movie. Yeah, and then Fox also put out all this stuff about how he was and, uh, he was terrible on set and you know wasn't professional and stuff like that. So. 
yeah, I'd imagine he's probably in uh, director hell as well. Yeah, he's uh, not doing too good right now. <laughs> Did you have any more stories? I have one more. Uh, Johnny Depp. You may know him as uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> I will always know him as uh, Edward Scissorhands. He has been uh, tapped to play the wizard Grindelwald in the Harry Potter prequel series, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Now, do you think that with the sequels, because they said they're going to make five uh, movies in total for the Fantastic Beasts series. Do you think it's going to be like the first one is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and then the second one would be like Fantastic Beasts and How to Contain Them or something, and then you know just changing that last part like they did with Harry Potter or the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire kind of thing? That's a good question. I'm not really sure because Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is actually a really, really thin book compared to uh, you know any of the regular Harry Potter novels. Right, and, and isn't it just a textbook? Basically, yeah, it's it's uh, it's written like a textbook, so you'll have some context and some like biology and like history of certain creatures. So there's not really a whole lot of narrative in that book. Um, the The story of the movie is the author of that book, uh, you know, doing research for the book. Right. So how exactly they're going to play that out? I'm not sure if it's going to be an anthology series where. This is just the first part of a five-part prequel series. Uh, I mean, I guess another thing they could do is the uh, uh, history, because there was a little book about that as well. Um, but I have a feeling that uh, the Grindelwald, he gets the most lip service in the first book and the last book, I believe. Right. In uh, the the original novels, um, because it turns out that you know he was a dark wizard before, um, who he who shall not be named Voldemort. Uh-huh. Couldn't think of his name. Um, yeah, before he rose to prominence, this was the dark wizard to end all dark wizards. But he started off as a colleague of uh, Dumbledore. Like they were uh, best buds and. If you read between the lines, he was also the object of Dumbledore's affection, okay. which uh, had had very uh, negative results in the end. So, then do, you, do you think we'll also be getting a younger actor playing Dumbledore? I think we're going to have to, because if, if we're going to have five movies and someone as big as Johnny Depp is being tapped to play this huge character, one can only assume we're going to have... Um, you know the 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 young Dumbledore, that, and this is eventually going to lead to their famous wizard duel, right? Which is also where uh, Dumbledore's little sister gets killed, and Dumbledore ends up with the Elder Wand, which is one of the Deathly Hollows. Oh, okay. So, just out of some kind of fan casting, who do you think? Who would you like to see play uh, a young Dumbledore? That's a good question. Um, let's see, who would be a dead ringer for a young... Uh... Michael Chabon? Yes. Hmm. I don't know, I have to take a, another couple of looks at him, but <laughs> off the top of my head, um, 
see who would be a good one. Uh, I mean, you got to imagine that if you if you stick with an English actor, you know, pretty much all of them have been tapped to be in different Harry Potter movies already. So uh, it's got to be pretty difficult at this point. I mean, how much younger are we looking? If the movies are the the Harry Potter movies are supposed to take place, what all the way up to two thousand when the first book came out? Uh, well, they actually they take place uh, uh, mostly in the early nineties. Okay, if you go by the chronology of the book. Um, so yeah, and this would be taking place like in the nineteen thirties, I believe. Okay, so. An extra 60 years younger? Yeah, basically. I'm trying to think who that could be. Hmm. I, You know, you're leaving me... Oh, and it's Michael Gambon. Michael Chabon's wants a different dude altogether. Oh, Michael Gambon. Okay, my bad. I was like, wait, this isn't him. <laughs> um, hmm. how, how about, like, uh, like, Matt Smith? Actually, yeah, that wouldn't be too uh, too much of a stretch. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, he's got the big teeth, prominent forehead. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, that'd be, what, the second Doctor that we've had in the Harry Potter series, films? Yeah. Uh, well, third, if you count uh, Filch, because he... Uh, Oh, he played him in the documentary. He played, uh... Oh, now I'm forgetting the name of the first Doctor. The... Is it Hart... Hartnell? Hartnell, yeah. John Hartnell? Yeah. All right, oh, fair enough. Well, that'll be a good question for the fans, the listeners. Who would play a young Dumbledore? Yeah, that that is a, that's a great idea. If uh, any listeners could would like to chime in, you know, reach us on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And tell us yeah, who you I'm think. Completely should. stuck. So. <laughs> who who should play a, a young Dumbledore? Um, before we get on to the episode, I I just wanted to uh, ask you what did you think about the whole uh, the that mini NES system that came out on was it Friday? Yes. Yep. November eleventh. Yeah. So uh, you know that th- they pretty much got sold out everywhere. I heard. Yeah, and people are reselling them for like five times their value on uh, on eBay, which is ridiculous. Well, never underestimate the power of capitalism and, you know, people wanting to make the buck. And then, you know, there are people out there that just were like, you know, I don't want to go wait in line, so let's go ahead and pay the extra money. And if they have that money, more power to them. Uh, yeah, I could see paying the fee, but I mean, people charging 300 bucks for an NES Classic, I mean, that's the kind of thing that would the table and just go download the ROMs, you know? Like, <laughs> like I think the, the legal expense of getting caught pirating the software might be less than paying for the freaking, like, little thing there. That's probably, that's pretty true. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong, though. It's a cute system. I'd love to have one. They're really cool. They're uh, Yeah, not, not at the, uh, not at that exorbitant price. prices they're fetching right now. <laughs> Was it, uh, 30 classic games, right? Yeah, and not all of them are great, but yeah, for the most part, they got the good ones in there. <laughs> it's missing some favorites like uh, Tetris and DuckTales and Chippendale Rescue Rangers, but I'm guessing that's for licensing issues. Uh, yeah, probably. 
Okay, uh, let's go ahead and get on to the adversary then. I didn't have any news to talk about, but uh, you know this episode is was pretty great. We uh, we spent a lot of time in the previous episode in the actual park. This time we're kind of more involved. We're more involved with what's happening uh, behind the scenes with the the support staff. I guess is the best way to put it of the park. Yeah, the the background characters, I guess. Um... Yeah, well, I mean, this is an episode that was completely free of uh, William and Dolores' storyline. Yeah, true. They were nowhere to be found in this episode. It was a... Uh, if if we're going by the two-timeline theory that this was all in the present... More than likely. I, I, you yeah. know, I, I think what you said last week, I think there might be three, and that, that makes more sense to me now. Now, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I guess to start things off, I believe it picks up right where the last episode left off, which is uh, Maeve is awake in the, the lab now, the, the little the butcher station, whatever you call that area, where they kind of repair them. Right. And I think it's it's interesting. So, I'm guessing that means that each butcher is assigned a certain uh, host, and they always get that host whenever that host gets killed or damaged. So, because yep. she always, uh, she she appears to be willingly getting herself killed all the time so that she can go back and ask the guy some more questions. Yeah, that's uh, that was the impression I was getting, too. Like, now it seems like it's not just a coincidence. Um, like, a certain group of hosts probably and that's the ones you work on when they get damaged or killed and you slap them back together and throw them back in the in the, the west world right yeah. that was a really interesting scene of uh Maeve waking up going about her day um there's like this strange feeling in the air with her walking around like kind of realizing she's waking up to something new mm-hmm and goes ahead and, uh, like, goads a newcomer into killing her sexually. Yeah, yeah, while in the, um, the act of uh, of uh, having sex, she's just sitting there, come on, I thought you were a guy, I thought you were a man, you could do this, right? And just fucking chokes her out. <laughs> yeah, erotic asphyxiation. Um but Probably not, not one of the worst ways to go. I guess not if you're having a good time. <laughs> hey, if it was good enough for David Carradine, it's good enough for me. <laughs> oh, dark humor. <laughs> I'm going to hell and I don't care. <laughs> so that's where anyway. all the fun's going to be had, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll be in good company. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she basically keeps doing this now in order to keep waking up in the lab she has that ability now and keeps freaking the hell out of Felix because, you know, he knows that this is going on and they have their little conversations and, you know, he's telling her, like, well, I mean, you're, like, technically artificial and I'm a person. And she was like, well, how do you know that you're a person if I don't know that I'm artificial? And I was like, well, uh, I just know. I mean, duh, right, you know? 
well, up until uh, a few a few days ago, she just knew that she was human too. So I thought that was a very cool little existential, uh, you know, break right there in the show. And you can almost see Felix kind of like being like, uh, I don't know, am I real? For a second. <laughs> yeah, it was like a very ex machina moment where he's going to like slice his wrist open and try to look for artificial parts or something <laughs> uh, yeah so then they get discovered by uh, well no before they get discovered she wants to go on a tour of the place that I thought and... was so strange <laughs> like uh, like you see her walking around and, and she's got what like some clothes on and he's obviously got the pad in front of him to monitor her and Yet no one is really paying attention to the two of them. Like, I don't know if she's supposed to be passing off as just being a regular person or if it's okay to be walking the models around because maybe you're working on her motor functions or something. Yeah, that was my guess because she wasn't dressed, like, inconspicuously. Like, she was in her, like, basically hooker underwear. (laughs) But But it also seemed like they were walking around trying to sneak around. Uh, I mean, they were walking slowly, but they were in plain sight. You know, they weren't going from shadow to shadow. True. They were, like, just keeping a slow pace. And I think it was exactly like you said. They were just making it seem like he was kind of testing her. Uh Like, oh, yeah, we just slapped her together. This is a little, like, diagnostic test run or whatever. And, I mean, that's what it looked like. Kind of. Like, I know if I would have looked up and seen that, I probably wouldn't have thought twice. Like, oh, I wonder if that automaton is becoming self-aware. <laughs> yeah. I was I, like, oh, look, there's Felix walking his, like, meat puppet around. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, it was interesting when she sees the ad that plays in the, um, I guess, best way to put his lobby uh, with her in it. And she's like, that's the dream I have all the time. And he's like, it's not a dream. It's a past storyline. Uh, you know, you're like basically saying that she's one of the older models of of hosts that's been around. So she's probably like Dolores. And I think that plays into later when uh, when Bernard is talking to Elise. And I know I'm skipping around right now, but he says something about, you know, some of the older models having uh, certain types of uh, old equipment in them, like the radio tr- receiver or transmitter or something like that. Yeah, some sort of uplink that only like the really old models still have. Right. So, and which also helps, allows them. That's probably why they're hearing someone talking to them, uh, and why they are able to lie when uh, at, when asked a question. Yeah. So it's it's revealed later on, and we'll get to that. But somebody's definitely been messing with their code and making some pretty big alterations from their normal day to day routine. Yeah. So then, uh, what was the other? What's the ginger butcher's name? That would be Sylvester. Sylvester. So he walks in on Felix and Maeve having a conversation. Yeah, I think she was uh, acting like she was catatonic at that point. Like, man, you're dressing her up now. What the hell is wrong with you? I should report you. You know, because he thinks that's a little weird. Yeah, but then she comes, she stops faking and puts a scalpel to his throat, 
and he thinks that well there's there's no chance that she can do anything because she's a robot and she's not she can't kill but then obviously things are not going the way they're supposed to be going she's not supposed to be awake either so what happens now is that he's he's wondering maybe she can kill me and he succumbs to her threats and eventually he says no i'm not going to help you out but she's like look i know you're doing something wrong around here basically he's it sounds like he's kind of running his own brothel with the other scientists that have to live down there. Where the other guy from the previous episode comes into play, where right. he was having sex with uh, one of the unconscious uh, robots, hosts, I guess. Hope, oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe he's... That's a Kill Bill reference. <laughs> uh, I think you cut out. I didn't hear. I didn't hear the reference. Oh, I said maybe his name is Buck. Ah, <laughs> yeah, I get that reference. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, uh, Steve. Now, with the, uh, there was also a, one of my favorite scenes of this episode was where Felix is showing Maeve that she is in fact, you know, a machine, basically, by showing her her thought processes in real time. Right. And that causes her to basically blow a fuse, and she crashes for like a few moments. Until basically, until he reboots her. Basically, yeah. And then she comes back, and I was like, "Whoa, what happened?" <laughs> I mean, I thought it was funny because the you know the words would pop up on the screen just like a split hair before she would say them, and and she thinks that she's making up her own mind and what she's going to say, but the words are there. So yeah, it really does cause her to just blink out and which would i would imagine it's kind of the uh you know conundrum that would do something like that yeah i mean i would think that's kind of neat i'm like huh let's see what i'm thinking oh cool (laughs) and they would say oh cool on the screen you know like little endless feedback loop there um would you okay? So then, what do you think about the the uh, personality matrix that they uh, ended up showing you, showing us? Is like you know how what was it? Bulk ego or bulk uh, perception? That bulk apperception. Apperception. Was, there you go. It's supposed to be your intelligence. Yes, like overall intelligence. Um, I guess she had a fourteen, which was as high as they give most of the hosts, due to the fact that she's in a managerial position. Right. And uh, by the end of the episode, it's like, okay, I want to increase this, this, and this, bring this one down a notch. Uh, in one case, it was pain. She wanted it to sting less every time she gets killed. Right. Which is smart. You know, that's already showing that, yeah, that's some good apperception there. And then the... Unless she wanted to be boosted to, like, 100. Right, the most that you could for the bulk apperception and... After yeah. they do that, she's kind of like, I mean, she. It's like she's being filled with all the knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very uh, it's a very euphoric looking, uh, like sequence where, kind of like uh, Neo getting uploaded with Kung Fu. I'd be really impressed if they go that route and she's all of a sudden like really awesome at martial arts. And... <laughs> uh. What one of the thing, like so the one of the ideas that she's saying is that if 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 they told on her that uh, she was awake and stuff like that she would tell on uh, Sylvester but 
why uh why would anybody believe her you know what i mean like how would they know that she, what she's saying is right i don't know like i don't understand how the blackmail was working yeah it it didn't seem so much like it was blackmail as if he she was bargaining with him but okay. i couldn't really tell what it was that he would be getting out of it yeah yeah. Like, I kind of thought for a moment she was saying, like, hey, I'll make it worth your while. You know, I am trained in the seductive arts and all that or something to that oh. effect. But I don't think that was it either. Oh, okay. There's there's, there's something there that I'm missing, and I didn't rewatch this episode like I've been trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I kind of missed that part. But, yeah, it's, she's she definitely convinced them for something in return, except I'm not entirely sure what that is now. So just realizing what I've been saying... Uh, with their names, uh, Felix and Sylvester, both cartoon cats, Sylvester the cat, Felix the cat. Oh, yeah. Is is there anything to that, or is it just the writer being cheeky? I have to go into a deep analysis mode. Sylvester's always uh, after Tweety. Right. But that would be more in line with Felix's character, trying to fix the bird. <laughs> True. And... I'm actually not too sure about Felix's character as a cartoon. I never really was into him. I think he just likes to so. pull hijinks, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a, a ne'er-do-well troublemaker. Yeah. Is he the one that has the bag that's, like, magical? Like, you could pull anything out of it? Yes, I think so. That is him? Okay. All I remember about Felix the Cat is that he was Max Shrek's logo for Batman Returns, which That's made no sense to me at the time. <laughs> That's true. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think about that. All right. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's uh, something that will be revealed later, or maybe not. Maybe it was just a, a writer being cheeky, but all right. Um, maybe uh, maybe Maeve is their, their mouse in this game of cat and mouse they're playing. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I guess if another butcher comes around and he's uh, Tom, there that would be another way of putting it. Because Tom was the cat in Tom and Jerry, that right? Be... That's right, yes. Okay. <laughs> what did you think about the, the, the Bernard, Elsa, or Elsie, you know, Teresa storyline? That was interesting because... Uh... As you know, they talk about how they can't be in a relationship anymore. Right. Because they're conflicting interests and all that. Especially since Ford... Not to mention the fact that it's not even a secret. You know, yeah, yeah, Ford, exactly. their boss, knows. Which, uh, so, I guess we'll get to that later. But I, I had something about Ford that I thought was, was strange. But, all right. Uh, yeah, you know... Oh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> There's <laughs> definitely some strange things with Ford. Uh so Elsa or Elsie is uh, figuring out where the signal is coming from, I guess, or the the radio yes. signal, the one that, the signal, the one that they're talking about. Oh, those those computers, those handheld computers that are also their phones that they have, are they like like Tony Stark's phone in uh, Iron Man Two, where he can take over any computer system and screen and stuff? It's kind of what it looked like. Um, they definitely were able to interface with a lot of stuff, it looks like. Um, even though the the tech looked like it was a couple of decades behind. 
Right. You know, they were still able to use their, their data pads, I guess, to like uh, open up or jack into pretty much anything. They're basically like little sonic screwdrivers that could do whatever the plot needs them right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, it's, so speaking of, you know, Bernard goes down to one of the, I guess, lower floors that's now abandoned. And I, it's like, why do they just abandon floors and then they leave stuff behind? Which the gunslinger from the movie was seen in the background. I don't know if you caught that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually posted that image along with the comparison of a scene from the original movie on the Geek Elite Radio Facebook page. There you go. Uh, yeah, that was... Now, I didn't catch that at first. That that came later when I was looking through um, through uh, Reddit where somebody said, hey, look who made an appearance in tonight's episode. And, yep, you, you see a really blurry silhouette, but you can clearly tell it's the same clothes and pose as Yul Brenner as the gunslinger from the 1973 movie Westworld. Right, exactly. I thought that was a cool little... Uh callback or so do you think that that floor is the floor for the control unit for the movie and like this all takes place in the same uh, universe well i think that would be awesome no i think that was just a little throw like throwback to the original but this all um what exactly he's doing there isn't really clear at first but I guess uh, he's using the old tech that's there um, because that's how he's able to locate the older models that still have the, uh, the the transmitters in them, I guess. Okay. Yeah, so that's why he was down there. Right. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, they, they, none of their current tech um, had that, so he had to go to the older ones and... Uh, sure enough, the the login screen on the old computer that's down there, which is so like 2016, <laughs> it has the it has the old logo that we see when um, William first arrives to Westworld. That's true. It's got the W's side by side, and um, that's where he discovers that you know yes, the one that bashed its own head in. You know, was definitely you know transmitting some sort of information, but that's also where he discovers that there's like five other hosts that are not registered. Right, and that's when he goes to that area that's supposed to be shut down for uh, what's what is it called? Advanced story narrative or future expansion? Future expansion. Okay, this is what they said. Uh, but. As we come to find out that it's a it's the little house where it's the house where that uh, young boy hosts or yeah hosts that uh, Anthony Hopkins character Ford has been talking to in other episodes, but it's his whole family, and then we find out that that is a replica of Ford's as a youth and his family. Yep, that was definitely creepy. Not only that, but these. Uh hosts are not beholden to the same rules as the other hosts where they are supposed to respond to the commands of the uh the operators i suppose the the, admins. the workers yeah they only respond to ford which if he hadn't been there could have been bad news for bernard so that's what i thought was strange cuz i don't think he was there he just like he was like in a corner like when right when he needed to be there so 
in a few uh, uh, scenes earlier, there's the time when Ford is talking to the other workers when they're working on the future uh, storyline area, and then he kind of like pauses, and then it, the scene kind of changes to where he's in his like workshop and he's looking at a model of the land. So, is it possible that, that he has a way of projecting his his himself into the 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 theme park? Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. Um, I don't know. That is strange that he was right there just when he needed to be. Right. There's no real. There's no sign of how he got there because you saw Bernard. He uh, had to take an elevator from who knows where underground. <laughs> That you know, like pushed him up right where he needed to be to be in this location. Yeah, and so yeah, it makes you wonder. Like, was Art was uh Ford just kind of hanging out on the couch, was watching his family life, you know, play before his eyes or something? Or it was like this is what TV is for him. Maybe they don't have good shows in the future. <laughs> yeah, no, I I seriously because like if Bernard had walked in and he started talking to those people, wouldn't uh Ford just be like what are you doing here or something like first and instead of waiting until the father came over and tried to kill him <laughs> yeah or i guess maybe like you're saying he's like projecting himself maybe he uh has some sort of a hologram array or something where yeah I'm like that's exactly what I'm where thinking. he's at yeah I don't think it's like a actual projection or anything. We're not we're not talking about Doctor Strange and Magic. I I really think it's like <laughs> he's he's got some kind of tech that's in his workshop that allows him to project himself into uh the areas that he needs to be when he has a conversation with someone and thus the also the reason why when he just he he says things like uh you know stop or you know proceed or something like go about your business like he doesn't have to push any buttons or anything like that. It's all off of his mind. Yeah, that's very interesting. Especially the fact that these are more machine than the normal hosts are. True. Like, we see, uh, we finally get to see what one of the older models looks like when the little boy that represents Ford uh, comes over and splits his face in half. <laughs> Actually, in quarters. In quarters? All right, yeah, two top halves, two bottom halves. Yeah. So he basically pulls a little bit of a demigorgon like mechanically. <laughs> so then I didn't I didn't I didn't understand his his uh dialogue right there cuz he says something about how the older models with the mechanics inside were more uh I don't know lifelike or something like that whereas the newer models the way they make them they're not but I'm like wouldn't a bunch of metal inside the body not be more lifelike? I think he was saying something about the nuance behind it. Um, he did mention that Arnold made those specifically for him. Right. Uh, which leads us to believe that Arnold was also some sort of mechanical genius, besides also being like, a really good programmer. See, I do you think that... I, I, I thought... I kind of got the feeling that uh, Arnold was the the one that was behind building it. Like, yeah, being the mechanical genius and being the one that was able to create these things, whereas... Ford was the one that was about programming and writing the writing the narrative. 
Yeah, you can kind of see where it was like a Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak type relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that comparison. Yeah, but, I mean, this whole scene leaves us with more questions than answers because why exactly is he reliving his childhood? I mean, he mentioned that his father was kind of a jerkwad. And that he had to change the programming so that it reflected a more truer picture of what his father was like. Yeah, and just when he said that, you see the father taking, like, a shot of whiskey or something. Yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, so your father was a drunk. Okay. So, uh, I mean, obviously that plays a lot more into who Ford is and uh, maybe why he does the things he does. But it definitely leaves Bernard with a lot of questions, and that leads him to go talk to Teresa, or is it Therese? Therese, I believe. Okay, uh, to basically rat out Ford and be like, hey, he has these five hosts that are not accounted for. They don't, you know, they don't, uh, they can't be tagged, they can't be found, but yet they live in this sector. And then as he's about to tell her, uh, that's when Elise calls her, calls him and says, uh, Therese is the one that's been communicating with these and changing the programming of these, uh, these hosts that have been going crazy. Yeah, it's, um, it's coming from her apparently, although I have a strong feeling that it's just somebody who's using her login or admin rights, because that would be a little too on the nose for me, that it's her. I don't think she's trying to sabotage this place. She wants to take it over. Right, but not undermine it. I don't believe. No, I don't think that. that I don't think that's what's happening either. And no. I think that would make more sense because the other person she says is that's in the system that's manipulating it is Arnold, and we know. Well, I mean, this could be a, a big, you know, mystery or something like that, or it could just be a, a, a throw off. Maybe someone is just using his login, his admin rights, as well as her login and admin rights. Yeah. And that's that's the most likely scenario at this point, uh, as far as I know, because I feel like everybody's kind of already jumping to the conclusion, well, Arnold has to be alive or his conscience has to be intact somewhere because everybody keeps referring to him. Right. Well, in, like, J.J. Abrams, you know, fashion, I would imagine that that's where they want us to think, and he's going to, like, pull the rug out from under us afterwards. <laughs> True. And, and also in... Uh, not just J.J. Abrams, but uh, Jonah. Uh, what's dang it, Nolan? Oh, Jonathan Nolan. Jonathan Nolan. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he his writing is the same way with uh, you know the Prestige and uh, you know the Dark Knight series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, Elsie's spilling the beans. She's saying, yeah, it looks like uh, Arnold is a pretty good programmer for a dead guy. <laughs> and in typical horror movie fashion, after she hangs up with him, um, she hears a noise. And rather than turning off her lamp and going quiet, <laughs> she was like, uh, hello, somebody there? And she gets attacked from behind. Well, I think that was hilarious is that she's sitting there and after she's already gotten some of the information, she's like, oh, no, I need to sit here in the dark and keep looking for more information. And then as soon as she hears a board creak behind her, that should be your cue to be like, "Okay, I'm out, you know, because there's not supposed to be anybody else here. So uh, why stick around? But then 
she just yeah like you said picks up her lantern and is like hey who's here is someone out there what's going on and yeah i think she even says arnold out loud like (laughs) asking for him if that's who's walking around there because that would be your natural assumption that a 30 plus year old dead person (laughs) is happens to be in the same room as you all of a sudden of course so what do you what do you think? Do you think it's a, a host that's kidnapped her? Do you think it's gonna actually further the plot? I honestly believe that it's gonna be Luke Hemsworth. It's gonna be the security guy, and like he's oh the... yeah, that's actually who I thought it was too. Because I, I was like, well, it looks like somebody who was wearing all black, but he had a really large hand. Like it looked like a it looked like a baseball mitt. <laughs> and I was like, well, who else have we seen on the show with large hands and wears all black? Oh, it's got to be Luke Hemsworth. Yeah. Which he did have a funny He's scene. He's probably just going to say... Oh, go ahead. Finish. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, so. I was just going to say, as uh, as the head of security, he was probably just doing the rounds and was like, hey, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. And it's going to like de-escalate the whole sequence. Like We're just being led to believe it's one of those like Goosebumps-style cliffhangers. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that she, he did have one funny scene in this episode where he basically had to... <laughs> had to react to uh the head writer like pissing on the 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 model the 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 simulation whatever you want to call it from the a a, a balcony and the next story up kind of thing because he was so drunk and pissed off at the company that was pretty funny <laughs> and not only that i think lee is his name happened to also be trying to put the moves on the girl earlier and um, out that that was like the uh, representative from the board that came to visit, right? From Delros, Delvos. Yeah. Which now we know, so, you know, for a fact that you know they're going to be heavily involved. Which means there could definitely be other worlds out there, uh, other theme parks that we just don't know about yet because we're not dealing with those theme parks. We're only dealing with Westworld. Too right. Yeah. So. Now I want to talk about that actress. See where that goes. Uh, Tessa Thompson, she like literally is blowing up right now. Like everything, uh, I think she did what last year or maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, Dear White People. Uh, then last Christmas she did Creed, and you know she is going to be in the new Thor Ragnarok movie as Valkyrie. She uh, is in. I mean now obviously Westworld. She's I mean showing up in a lot of movies. None of which I've seen, actually. So, yeah, I didn't have no idea who she was. Oh, interesting. Like, I mean, the first thing I remember from is uh, the Veronica Mars TV show. She showed up in, uh, I, th- I believe, the second season, and she ended up being becoming friends with the Ver- with Veronica Mars, and uh, uh, they used her as, as some plot points throughout. But, uh, yeah, she is, I think, definitely becoming more and more popular in uh, one of the go-to actresses right now oh well i'll take your word for it <laughs> i never saw veronica mars either so come on john you head. should be watching all the things that i watch all the time i mean uh maybe i might have some more free time in the near future i might do that okay uh with uh that that was funny because he was hitting on her and uh 
obviously i don't know i don't know do you think they were actually clicking or she was just playing it off because she wanted to learn more because he was definitely giving away a lot of information that someone who was supposed to be the liaison from the 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 board or from delros would would want to hear yeah he was being way too forthcoming with a lot of like sensitive information and also talking shit about his boss yeah uh, board that uh (laughs) I mean, the, the look of oh shit on his face was pretty priceless afterwards. <laughs> uh, so do you think that area that he was at, that pool area where he was lounging, is that just for uh, newcomer guests? Or is that where, like, employees can go relax? Because it seems like they kind of do long period shifts as employees there. They, they stay there. They live there. Uh, eventually, they, they can probably go home for a couple months at a time or something like that. Yeah, it sounded like it was some kind of recreational area for play, but I think the the workers, if they're high enough level to that area, I don't think it's a place you would see like Sylvester and Felix hanging out. Okay. But somebody who's kind of in a high position like Lee is, uh, seems like they would have access to that. Now, I also thought it was interesting that the pool, basically, I mean, I would assume that that is Westworld down there. And it kind of like overlooks the canyons and stuff that uh, would be a part of the the, the theme park. Um, do you think that the, that place would be really close to the rest of the theme park? Which then again plays into the whole idea of where would they have found all this land that would be unoccupied and unused uh, other than on maybe another planet that we were talking about? Yeah, it looks like it's uh, it's on a mesa for sure. Uh, but I think it's definitely removed from the main uh, Westworld area. Because uh, if you remember, like, the second episode, you know, when they're, William arrives, they get there by train, some kind of futuristic Hyperloop train. Um, and then they leave there by train, and it still takes them a while to get to, like, the main area of Sweetwater. So I think it's definitely kind of off in the distance uh, removed from the main uh the main hub now when i when i saw that uh that pool area the mesa that uh, i I even think someone refers to it as the mesa later in the episode but when i saw that for the first time it it very much brought up the memory of uh rome world in the um westworld movie like I don't know if they did that on purpose or if maybe my mind was just playing a trick on me, but that like the whole because I think they really all we saw of Rome World was the people laying near the the um, the pool and kind of you know getting grapes fed to them kind of thing, getting their hedonism on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's um, intentional callback to that, but I see that. Yeah, like this is them. Uh living the high life yeah exactly yeah so then we also have let's see what else happens ah we haven't even got to the man in black and teddy that's true that is pretty much the only part that we spent in the park yeah and um so the man in black and teddy are on route to continue looking for the maze and they come across a a camp of uh, union soldiers i guess um, part of Teddy's old team. Right. 
Now they so they try to sneak through. Right, and they they also the 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 group yeah. the troop also hates uh, Wyatt as much as Teddy does, but they are under the uh, the impression that uh, Teddy was helping Wyatt kill all those people and killing that killing their unit. Yeah, exactly right. As a matter of fact, one of them recognizes Teddy, even though they both have, like, Union uniforms that they stole from two other soldiers, yeah. which I'm assuming they killed to get. And and one of them just happened to be uh, a general that Ed Harris's character uh, puts on? Yep, that's how you know he was a high-ranking guy, because he was still wearing his black hat yeah. inside of the uniform. <laughs> and uh, through, and one of them one was like, holy blood!" And they're like, uh, yeah, so the man in black tries to hold him off because he knows that he can't be killed, that he needs Eddie to stay alive. Um, they both get captured and they're about to start torturing with what I think is a, a brand with the maze on it. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Like, because Teddy even explains earlier in the episode that the maze is just a uh, story that the the natives tell each other or something like that? Yeah, he explains that it's it's representative of a man who did a maze so complex only he could solve it or only he could get to of it. Yeah, basically Um, it's just a parable. Around his home. Yeah, uh, so... Yeah, the the you know it's it, he's trying to because because the because Ed Harris the Man in Black is telling him that they need to go to the maze that's where Wyatt's at and but he, uh, Teddy's got in, other information that Wyatt is at Pariah I think is that where they're headed I believe I believe so yeah so yeah. Soldiers. So as he's about to be branded, Teddy, yeah, Teddy undoes his uh, his uh, head ties and is able to like, <laughs> fight them off. Uh, the man in black also gets loose, full Rambo, um, saying that oh, you know, we can't just leave; they'll follow us. We gotta end this here and now. Jumps on the back of a wagon, like runs a Gatling gun, and just. Mows down everybody. <laughs> Is that? Well, I think the I, man in black has a really cool face there. Like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I was gonna bring up. Is that I think it's it's so interesting because like up until basically in the first few episodes that we see the man in black interact with Teddy, he really doesn't like Teddy because he's like, you're you're nothing. You're marshmallow. You're you're you know you're fluff. But now that they've kind of given Teddy this upgrade and you know this backstory of Wyatt and stuff like that. He's really become more of a macho man. I don't know how to put it, but he's he's willing to take things into his own hands and deal with stuff. And uh, the man in black, the way he looks at him, is just like, wow, I was not ex-. like he's a man who's come to this park for so long that he knows what each character does and won't do and stuff like that. But now that Teddy has changed, he's just he's dumbfounded by it. Yeah, he even says something like, you think you know a guy? <laughs> and Teddy just says, you don't know anything about me. <laughs> Touche. Well then. 
Yeah, so then they resume their merry adventure, and I believe the next thing we come across is Ford with his younger robot self and the dog, which I think is supposed to be the Greyhound from the story he told old Bill in the previous episode. Right. Only to find out that young Ford uh, killed the dog. See, I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if that was young Ford or or Ford's brother, like the young version of his brother. But it was Ford. No, I believe Ford. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, there's like a little visual cue too. When later, when Ford is kind of like the the little host, um, there's a sheet of glass between them. Reflection, you can it, it's uh, they're sitting across from each other, but in the reflection, it basically Ford is talking to young Ford. Oh, okay. Which I think is will tell that that's supposed to be him. Okay. Yeah. So it was like, so what happened out there? Why is the dog dead? The little host lies. He said, uh. Uh, I forget what his what his excuse was. He said how the dog died. He said the dog uh, chased a rabbit and he got away from him. But then when he found the dog later, the he the dog was already like that. Ah uh, yes. And but, then that's when Ward go makes him go into diagnostic mode or analysis mode. Right. And he was like, "Are you lying to me?" And he said, "Yes." Starts to explain that he was hearing a voice saying to put the dog out of its misery. Because the dog was a killer. Yes. And that he, the dog he killed hurt. a rabbit. Right, and he would hurt people. Yes. And uh, I don't know if he said it was Arnold that told him to do it, but he said he heard the voice tell him to do it. Right. So, yeah, that's definitely playing up more on what's going on, which I would have thought that Ford would have had more... Of an since he seems to know everything that's going on, anyways, you'd think he'd have more insight on what was happening to these other hosts that have are having these uh, uh, I don't know voices in their head. But he was he seemed generally surprised, or at least maybe just surprised that Little Ford would have that. Yeah, I think maybe he thought this was like his own little bubble that was special and protected, right. And come to the realization that nope, if, if anything, it might be even more corrupt than the regular ones are. <laughs> so uh, that I mean, that's pretty much the episode. Um, any other surprise theories? Any more, uh, you know, uh, evidence to support pr- previous theories that you've seen or read? No, that pretty much covers it. Uh, I mean, the biggest theory was, like you mentioned earlier, that this could, in fact, be uh, evolution of the original Westworld due to the fact that we saw basement. Right. I think that really is just a shout out, like a little homage to the to the original. I think I think you're right. I think, yeah, I think so far everything's just playing out. Um, you know, as part of the mystery is, is uh, it's, uh, I don't actually, I'm not even sure if we covered it. 
big revelation when Elsie realized that the, the satellite system was going on was that the information wasn't corporate espionage. It was Delos and her uh, stealing information. Right. It was basically someone getting the information to Delos, uh, maybe incognito. Like if they sent it through email, it could be read by other people or whoever's monitoring the security. But this is a more of a sneaky way to get the information out to them. Yeah, very covert. Yeah. Yeah, covert. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, so and, yeah, uh, that, that does pretty much cover it. I did want to also mention, though, that there was two uh, saloon-style covers of Radiohead songs in this episode that sounded really awesome. Great. I, that's what I wanted to ask about. What were the songs that were played this, this episode? It was a talk show host and fake plastic trees. There you go. Uh, and I think, you know, I know, uh, some people would say that the, the songs and especially the player piano itself is going to play more, uh, into the storyline, the narrative of what's actually going on. Uh, maybe that will be revealed later, but I also wanted to bring up something to you that I think is a real stretch, but I thought it was interesting because, uh, in the episode, when Bernard is going down in the elevator to the restricted floor, he has to say his full name. And I don't know if they said it before, but this is the first time I've caught it, but his full name is Bernard Lowe. And I know if you use some of the letters from Lowe and some of the letters from Bernard, you can get Arnold. Uh, I know we haven't actually gotten a, a last name or first name for Arnold, whether or not Arnold is a first name or last name, but would it be that, do you think it could be that simple? Uh, an anagram to be, to make up Bernard Lowe? Uh, for less, um, for, for a lesser writer, yes, I could totally see that being the case. Okay. I want to truly believe that they're being a little more clever than that and just make it an anagram. (laughs) But I, but I could see that too. Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely, it, it fits. Maybe if they're making it too obvious, that's because they're messing with us. Yeah, think yeah. a certain way, and then they they they'll pull up the real surprise over us. But yeah, that, that you definitely right. It does seem like that could be an anagram. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, I think that's a good cover of uh, the adversary episode six of Westworld. Uh, if you have any further opinions and theories that you'd like to throw at us, uh, you can find me on Twitter at at agent underscore of the underscore bat. John is also on Twitter as. I am at Magic Bollocks. And uh, you can get all of Geek Elite Radio as at Geek Elite Radio. And as we said earlier, you can uh, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Geek Elite Radio. Be a part of our community and be a part of the conversation. See the the post that John put up on the, on the, pa- on the page about the, the comparison of the two images from the movie and the TV show. And then uh, go over to our website geekleetradio.com check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the geek elite radio network uh, but until next week this is the geeks watch uh on the geek elite radio network saying always remember to geek out geek out we now return you to your regularly scheduled program